Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. I remarked in the first service, we have an unbelievably talented group of individuals that we have the privilege of worshiping with every week. And uh, just really enjoyed worship this morning. Um, it's my honor to, to be with you this morning. I always enjoy getting to open God's Word with you anytime that I get trusted to stand in the pulpit. It, uh, it's of great importance to me. And, uh, you know, one thing that is true for, for each and every one of us this morning, regardless of where we've come into the morning, regardless of how old you are, if you're in school, out of school, if you've got people in your house or out of your house, it doesn't matter. One thing that we all share in common is that every single day we have opportunities to make choices. And to be clear, the choice is an act of selecting or making a decision when you're faced with two or more possibilities, right? And so some of those choices that we make are of little consequence to other people. When I chose to get up this morning and not turn my other sock right side out, that didn't affect anybody but me today, right? Nobody, there's a lot of little fanfare opportunities to make choices, right? What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, those things often don't affect other people. There are choices in life, choices that can impact more than a day, more than a moment, a week, a month, a year, your life can impact someone else's life, and can even impact generations to come. When I was 18 years old and getting recruited out of high school to go play ball, one of the kind of key themes that I heard college coaches tell me, and it's something that I tell all of our graduating seniors, as they're processing where they're gonna go to school, is not to think of it like a four-year decision, but to rather think of it like a 40-year decision. Because those coaches were trying to communicate to me that at 18, the choice I was making carried more weight than I imagined. It wasn't where I was going to play, it was potentially where I would meet a spouse or where I would choose a major, where I was going to kind of set the trajectory of my life based off the opportunities afforded me by the institution or the program. So we have those moments, we have those choices, choices that affect us, choices that affect our life. and so. That's why when we look at Old Testament Israel, we often find the leader of the Israelites, the leader of God's people, encouraging them in their decision-making, encouraging them to choose wisely, because I think we can all agree that all of our choices carry a certain amount of weight but we don't often find how weighty those things are until the consequence or the result happens. And so if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, go ahead and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you're unfamiliar with where that would be, that's going to be towards the front of your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6.
Let's pray as we dive into God's Word. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we, we come before you, your kids, Lord, and we just thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather, to open your word, to talk about things that matter to you. Lord, may you open our eyes and open our hearts to what you have to say to us. Lord, challenge us. And may we leave here looking more like your son, Jesus. Is your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've heard me communicate with you before, one of the things I often say is conversations out of context is how rumors get started, and so we don't ever want to come to God's Word that way. And so just to kind of establish some context for where we're coming in into Deuteronomy 6, as we arrive in Deuteronomy, we really find God's people, the Israelites, on the banks of the Jordan River, and they're waiting to cross over into the Promised Land. But before they cross over into the promised land to begin their conquest, to take possession of the land that God has promised to them, Moses, their leader for up until this point, knows that his time is coming to an end. He's been told by the Lord, you're not going with them. Joshua's going to take over. Joshua's going to take them into the promised land. And so Moses, thinking through his last charge to God's people, begins to unpack his final words. We also need to think, as we consider his words today, how the Jewish people would consider his words. And so, they considered Moses to be their greatest prophet. You look in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 and 11, it says, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all of his signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to his servants, and to his land. Moses' life meant something, right? His life had, had weight. God had used Moses' life in leading God's people, and he'd earned the right to be able to issue this charge before they departed from him. So as we read the opening chapters of Deuteronomy, we find Moses is narrating the story of the last generation of God's people and their relationship with the Lord. And he's speaking about these miraculous things that God has done for Israel. He's speaking about their escape from Egypt and the year that they spent at the foot of Mount Sinai when God would make a covenant relationship with them. And he goes on to talk about Israel's stubbornness towards him and their 40 years of wandering in the desert. But also, this, during this narration, we really feel this, this urgency that Moses is speaking with. He's speaking to the new generation of Israelites, and yes, he is speaking to the wonders of God, but more importantly, he's speaking to the rebellion of their mothers and their fathers. And so as chapter 5 really draws to a close, as we're getting ready to get to where we're at today, Moses recaps the Ten Commandments with them, and he gives them those Ten Commandments as a refresh, and, he, and he's encouraging them, and he's motivating them, and, and urging them, learn these and do them. And the choice that he's laying before them as they go into the promised land is this, be faithful and don't rebel like the last generation. Choose to be faithful and live in faithful obedience and not in rebellion. And so that's where we come into God's word this morning. And so Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through three, this is what Moses says to them, this is what God's word says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess. 
that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your sons, your sons' sons, by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it might go well with you, and that you might multiply greatly in the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses knows where they're going and what they're about to be faced with as they go into this land is they're gonna be faced with the opportunity every day in a land full of idol worship to choose right worship. They're gonna be faced with the opportunity to choose every day who they will worship. And you and I have that same choice today. So he goes on to continue in verse four, says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now something happens in these verses that up until this point in Moses' writing hasn't happened yet, hadn't occurred. Moses has said repeatedly that man's relationship with God is to be a relationship based on fear, right? He says fear Yahweh time and time again. It means to respect. But here Moses says something different. It changes. He says you shall love Yahweh your God. Love the Lord your God. It's the first time that this response to Yahweh or this response to Lord has been expressed that it's a command to love him. And so we find as we continue reading, he goes back and forth between fear, love, and fear. In verse 13 he says, for it is the Lord your God you fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So what does this mean, going back and forth here? It means this, God is serious about his worship. God is serious about his worship, and he is not interested in sharing your affections with anything else. And if you don't believe me, we just look back at what he talked to them about in, in chapter five, right? The first few commandments. We've talked about this before, if you've been in here with me. You shall love, you shall have no other God before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain, and you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Like the Lord knows his people, and he knows we're gonna struggle to let him be God. We're gonna struggle to worship him alone. We're gonna struggle to speak about him honorably, and we're gonna struggle to give him the time he deserves. We, he knows that about us. That, that's why he addresses it right there, first four items. And so point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, is this. It's simple to say, difficult in practice, but it's this. Because God is serious about his worship, we should be serious about worshiping him. Because God is serious about his worship, we should be serious about worshiping him. What we find in his relationship with his people is he's promised to continue to love his people and to be faithful to his people as long as they love and keep his commands. But, but Israel, like us, struggles with that. Yet God has continuously remained faithful and continuously pursued them. And God has done that for us through the person of Jesus. And so because of that faithful and continuous pursuit of sinful humanity, 
God expects man to faithfully and continuously pursue him. It's, it's a pretty easy exchange there, both in fear and in love. Now, I can remember as a kid coming to church and hearing that I'm supposed to both love God and fear him, and those two things didn't add up to me. There's really no other relationship in life where those are the two things, the two components, that I'm supposed to fear God and yet love him. And so I always thought, okay, I, I do love God, but man, I, he is kind of scary. So I wanna be very clear about the kind of fear we're talking about. I think, I think in our minds, at least in my mind growing up, it was always I was scared of what God could do to me. But the fear associated here is the fear of what God has done for you. It's, it's different, you see that? It's, it's not a fear of what God has done, could do to me, but what he has done for me through the person of Jesus Christ. It is an awe-struck fear and reverence and respect for what he's done. Point number two comes real close. Write this one down. Is when our fear of the Lord is defined by our love for the Lord, it always results in obedience. I didn't say always in there, but as I thought through this, it, it's, it's never a sometimes. I don't wanna leave that up for debate for you in your head. When our fear of the Lord is defined by our love for the Lord, it always results in obedience. And we see that in Jesus' teaching. Jesus is speaking in John 14, 15, and he says, if you love me, you will do my commandments. You'll keep my commandments, right? Our, if our fear of the Lord, that awestruck wonder and fear and respect is defined by love, it results in obedience. To say it simply, it's this. When we love God, our choices reflect that love. Now, Kristen and I have been married for eight years. And for eight years, my choices have reflected that I'm in a covenant relationship with her. For eight years, my decisions are based off the fact that I'm a married man. For the last two years, I've had kids. For the last two years, my decisions are based off the fact that not only am I in a marriage relationship, but I have a responsibility to love and lead my children. I no longer act like I did when I was 18. Right, thank God, because I wouldn't have a wife. Right, when we love God, our choices reflect that love. Now, you and I have been to two different kinds of funerals throughout our time. We've been to the funeral where we constantly sit in a state of wonder and curiosity, is, is, is my friend or is my family member in heaven? It's, it's troublesome and it's worrisome and, and, and we wrestle and we just find to find the good. Can I tell you this this morning? And I know it's a hard thing. You don't have to wonder. You don't because you've also been to the other funeral where there's no doubt and there's hope and there's rejoicing. When people love God, their life reflects that love. It's not up for debate. It's not up to curiosity. It's not left for us to wrestle with. When we live in a covenant relationship with a holy God, we live in that relationship. We reflect his character in the world. That's why we see Moses talk about it this way in verse five. If, if people love me, right, it's, it's you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. It's an all-encompassing 
type of love. It permeates every fiber of your being. It is more than choosing to attend church twice a week or on holidays, right? It is an ongoing, ever-present relationship that affects everything. It's more than choosing to love the words of the Lord that support me emotionally, and it's choosing to love all the words of the Lord, even though I don't agree with them, because he has the authority in that relationship. It's choosing to love his words even if I don't like them. It's an all-encompassing love, and it begins in the innermost being, and it works itself out into our relationships and our actions beginning in, check this out in verse 6, beginning with your family. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. So it always starts with you. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be in the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, I wanna, be, I wanna speak specifically to you this morning. Dads, single moms, as you lead your houses, Author Francis Chan said that our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't matter. And for two years, Kristen and I have had little ones in the home, and, I, and, I, and it's weighty. And I think about it a lot. I think about their life, and I think about the next 18 years of their life, and I think about what they're going to be when they get older. And I'm, I was looking at Hazel in the kitchen the other day, and I was thinking, someday you're going to be married, and I don't, what kind of husband are you going to look for? I feel that, I think of that, and I cannot imagine that there would be a worse possible outcome from giving everything that I can to my children. Give everything that you can to your children. You help them with their homework, you give them all of your nights and your weekends and your days, you take them to practice, you take them to recitals, you go to their tournaments, you go to their dances, you give them all the money that you have, you give them everything that they need in hopes that they're gonna be a great person, a good teammate a good worker, and a good reflection of you in the world, hopefully. And I cannot imagine a worse outcome than getting to the end of that and realizing that nothing I did counted for eternity. That's weighty. Parents, your role in the life of your child is more than saying yes and no to them and keeping them from sin. It's more than raising a good kid in hopes that you have a good kid that makes you proud in the world. It's not about their morality, it should be about their holiness. It's about fostering in your child that, that same sense of awestruck fear and love for the Lord that, that hopefully you have. As you live an obedient life to the commands of God in front of them, teaching them to do the same. It's about showing them that their greatest need in life doesn't reside in an Oval Office or a political party, that their greatest need in life is a savior and introducing them to Jesus Christ as their only hope for salvation. And it won't, it won't happen by accident. 
and it won't happen because you brought them here. The frequency that you come here is not what gets it done. Your child will never prioritize what you marginalize. Your child will never prioritize what you make optional in their life. They are watching you make choices. And they're taking notes. And they keep receipts. And it's weighty. And it should be because that's how God designed it. The choices that we make as the heads of our household carry the weight of eternity in our home because God designed it that way. And because God designed it that way, we should do something about it. Point number three this morning, if you are not intentional about the spiritual well-being of yourself or your household, no one is going to be intentional for you. If you are not intentional about the spiritual well-being of yourself or your household, your family, no one is going to be intentional for you. Verse 6 again, these words I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit at your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I, I want to say it simply. The people in your home should look more like Jesus because you live there too. And so here's five practical things you can do as a family this week. And I, I want to be clear. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if your kids are out of the house. These are good practical things that you can do. Right? Read your Bible in front of your kids. Don't assume that they know that that's what you're doing when you close your door. Get it out of the room, put it at the table, and read in front of them. Tell them what you're reading. Invite them to ask questions. Share with them what God's revealing to you. Number two, pick one night a week and start a family devotional night. Now, every time I have this conversation, people say, ah, that one's tough. John, you don't understand, we're busy. We're very busy. And I'll tell you, it's true, families are busier now than I think they've ever been. There's more things going on than at any other time. But you've made time for all those things because you find them important. We always make time for what we think is valuable. I, I would even say that your kids probably in this very moment and the people in your home have no doubt of where you stand on the vaccine, have no doubt of where you stand on mass mandates, but have they heard you lead them devotionally? It's time that we prioritize things. Number three, pray as a family. Keep a journal. Write down the prayer requests of your family. Write them down, read them together, pray over them together, serve together. Find something that you love to do for the glory of God and do it together. And here's the fifth thing that kind of helps all of it is push through the awkwardness because it will be awkward. First time you say, hey guys, we're gonna sit down real quick. We're gonna open our Bibles and we're just gonna read this together. I remember when I first started in ministry, I just thought it was about having a good time. Playing games, doing silly things. And so I did those things, and we, and we had a good time doing them. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. My job is heavy. 
there's some weight to what I do, and I have a responsibility to to handle it rightly. And so I'm going to open God's Word, and we're going to do things intentionally. And the kids, at first, really rebelled against me. They pushed back against me because they're like, man, this isn't who you've been historically. This isn't who you've been before. And it took a few years, but they finally came to the realization of like, oh, okay, this this is what we do. Now, I will tell you, it's not going to take years in your home. Don't freak out. But it's also not going to be a one-time deposit either. If you want to set your family up for retirement, you don't go to the bank and drop off a bunch of money one time. You slowly, continuously invest money over time to build wealth. In the same way with your children, read the Bible continuously with your family. Pray continuously with your family. Make deposits throughout their life as they lie down and as they get up, as they walk by the way, as they sit at the table, as they go to the ball field, all of those places exist for discipleship because discipleship is an as-you-go thing. It is showing them how to follow Jesus as they live their life, to be obedient to the commands of Father the same way that you are. Do something and don't quit. Doing something is far better than doing nothing. And hey, look at this. You're not going to be perfect because you're not. You're going to mess up. Your kids might slap each other at the table when you're trying to pray. But husbands, let me tell you this. You want, you want some extra special time with your wife? Lead her in God's Word. She'll never find you more attractive than once you actually start leading the family. You want to rekindle some romance? Open God's Word. And look what's going to happen here. People say the Bible doesn't actually know things. Your kids are going to ask you, why should we do this? Your kids are going to ask, tell you that they don't agree with what God's Word says, that, that they, they, they disagree with what it says. They disagree with His words. The Bible speaks to that as well and how you should respond as a parent. So jump down to verse 20 with me. It's what God's Word says. It says, when your son asks you in the time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? You shall say to your son, well, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Now, hold on, time out. Don't start there, right? That doesn't really apply to you, but it does, so hold on. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all of this commandment before the Lord our God as he's commanded us. Look, when you live for the Lord, people are going to ask you why you live for the Lord, and then you tell them why. Your kids are going to ask you why, tell them why. And this is it. Verse 21, you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Explain to your children that apart from Christ, you are desperate in your sin, slave to your sin, separated from God for eternity. But through the person and work of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and by his resurrection, that he's made a way for us to be set free from that sin. That while we could do nothing, he acted on us. Verse 22 and 23, 
The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all of his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us, give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. Tell them how you've seen God work in your life. Share your testimony of God's goodness and of God's faithfulness with your children, with your spouse, where you've seen him do miraculous things, beginning with how he delivered you out of slavery. Through the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are today. Tell them that you don't always get it right. That you still fall short and mess up, but that he remains faithful. Even when we get it wrong, that he still pursues us and he offers grace and forgiveness, not because of how good we are, but because of how good he is. And that is what gives him authority over us. He has the say-so as the one who wrote the blueprint over creation, even if I don't agree. Verse 25, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. He has commanded us. Last semester, before we broke for summer, I taught through the Apostles' Creed with our students, and on the first lesson, I just focused in on the first two words, I believe. Because when we say I believe, it's different than when we say anything else. I can, I can know something all day long, and it doesn't change a thing about my life. But if I say I believe something, it changes the way I behave. If I have a belief in something, it changes what I do. And if I truly love and fear the Lord, then I'm gonna be obedient to what he says. And in my 31 years of life on this earth, I have never met anybody who's had an encounter with Jesus and walked away the same. It really is as simple as what fills our heart leads our life. And many of us know God. We, we, we know the things to say, we know the things to do. We're raised in a culture that prior to recent years has been a-okay with referring to ourselves as a Christian. It's cultural, we know the things. But oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this too, sometimes we do not reflect the kind of love that God commands. Our choices don't reflect what he expects of us, and I think many of us are guilty of walking through life with head knowledge, but a total lack of belief in him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and it's all-encompassing love. And so when, when people ask you, when your children ask you, tell them why. Tell them that it is because of faith alone in Christ, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. When we love the Lord, we'll do what he says. You know, some, some of you might, might say, John, none of this has really applied to me this morning. I don't have kids in the home. I'm not even married. I would tell you it does apply to you. Every bit of it. Love the Lord, do what he says, and teach others to do the same. You might say, John, I've actually, I've missed it. I missed all this, it didn't make sense to me when I had kids in my house, they're, they're out of my house, they're too old, they're not gonna listen to me, there's no sense in me doing this. That's a lie from Satan too. 
love the Lord, do what he says, and teach others to do the same. So the response for us as the believer to this text and, and how we live our life, there's really two application things for us, both first individually and next as a family. The first is, what do you do with, what do you do with Jesus? Right? Understanding that, that God loves you, but because of your sin, you're separated from a holy God who created you for himself. So God loves you, sin separates you, but, but Jesus rescues you. When we could do nothing, God acted on us through the person of Jesus Christ. God loves me, sin separates me, but Jesus rescues me. And so the thing that you have to wrestle with is do you believe that? I know many of us know it, but do we believe it? Because if we believe it, it changes how we live. And so what do you do with Jesus? And the second thing, and this, this has already been decided in my home, is as for me and my house, we will choose to serve the Lord. Starts with the individual and it goes to the family. And so, what do you do with Jesus? And, and who, who will you serve? If you're a parent this morning, I want to invite you at this moment just to stand. Wherever you are, just stand. And I want to tell you 11 years in student ministry, you have the hardest job in the world. What I, what I do is easy. The hardest, the hardest thing in the world is for God's people to reflect God's character in the world. If that's true in the world, it's true in the home. The hardest thing for the Christian parent is to reflect God's character in the home in relation to their kids. You have the hardest job in the world. And we hope as we, as we gather, as your staff gathers every week and we think about you and we pray for you as you lead your families, we strategically try to partner our ministries where we help complement what you do. We're the B team, you're the A team. We know that you have a heavy task. Some of you, your, your, your kids aren't here yet. Some of you, they're, they're in your home. Some of you, you're at different places. Some of you, they're out of the home. But wherever you're coming into this morning, the choices that you make in your house carry the weight of eternity. And we need to feel it, but we need to understand that when we come to Christ, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's given us the tools through his word and through his church that we do it together. And so we are here for you but we want to pray for you this morning as we close our time together and the worship team comes back up. So let's bow together as we pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, again, we just uh, we thank you for your many blessings to us, Lord. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the clear teaching in Scripture, God, that, that we have the responsibility to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. God, we thank you that you don't give us that weight alone, but you offer us that you'll carry it with us. God, when we love you, we'll do what you tell us to do. And so, God, we're asking for your help. We're asking for your wisdom. We're asking for your strength. Help us do 
what you've commanded us to do as it relates to our spouses, as it relates to our children, as it relates to our children's children. Lord, may we not get to the end of our days with our kids and the only thing we've done is raise, raise good kids. Lord, that's, we're not after that. We're not after their morality, Lord. We're after their holiness, and we want them to be so in love with you. God, if, if all we ever do is, is raise children that love and serve you, then God, we did everything. But if everything we do amounts to nothing for eternity, God, we've wasted our time, and we've wasted their life. God, we don't want to waste our kids' life. Lord, give us strength. Give us courage. In your son's holy, precious name we pray. Amen.